guys. Welcome to Kairos. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Danny, and I'm a pastor here, and it's just wonderful to be worshiping with you all. Um, I love Christmas lights. Anybody else? So I just love the vibe that we got going on tonight. I also really appreciate the band's acoustic setting. So I'm going to start with a little bit of a relaxed, chill vibe, and, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to sit. Is that cool? Can I start by sitting? I can't, I can't promise you that my legs won't get excited and I won't just jump up like a, like a tiger. But anyway... Um, in that clip, what you would have seen was Mary, Jesus's mom, being called by an angel to something that was absolutely crazy. We're in a new series in this season of Advent. Everybody go ahead and say that word, Advent. Advent is the season that comes before Christmas season. So people are like, hey, it's Christmas season. Not quite. And you don't have to interrupt them and be rude about it. But this is the season of Advent. And Advent literally means the arrival So as we look back to the arrival of Jesus, we're looking back to some people who were very, very excited, but also maybe kind of scared or worried or concerned or thrown off about his arrival. We're going to be focusing on Jesus' parents in this series called Meet the Parents. Anybody here ever met the parents of a significant other? It's kind of a scary, crazy thought. Well, in the Bible, we meet the parents of Jesus, and that's really special, and that's really neat. And sometimes I think that we put them on a pedestal that maybe they don't necessarily belong on. When I was growing up, being a pastor's kid, I always had to be in the nativity scene at church during Christmas Eve services, and my sister was always Mary. Every other year, my brother or me had to be Joseph, and that was awful. It was terrible. I hated it so much. In between services, every now and then we would actually still wear like our, our old ancient time garb out uh, among the common people throughout the services and we'd wave and we'd greet or whatever. Uh, sometimes it was just simply because I was really hungry. I wanted to run to the kitchen and grab a snack and I didn't want to take my robe off and, and dress into something else. But there was one Christmas in particular where I was walking with my sister and someone who had just been at the service knew that I played Joseph and she played Mary. And this man, in all seriousness, came up to us. He bent to his knees and he kissed our hands. And he said, thank you for bringing our savior into this world. (laughs) If you grow up in a church, you're just going to see weird things every now and then. That was one of the weirdest, definitely top five strangest things that ever happened to me. And then the guy stood up, he's laughing, and my brother comes out from behind the corner and he said, this is my friend Joe. He, he told him to do it. So, but the thing is, is sometimes though, we, we put like these characters who we find in the nativity scene up on these pedestals, like, oh my goodness, hail them. They're incredible. They're great. They're perfect. But, but Mary and Joseph, they were these normal people. Like they were called to something extraordinary, but they were ordinary. And when we look at the parents of Jesus, what we find is God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I think that I'm a pretty ordinary person. Maybe you feel like that about yourself too. But God will call you to extraordinary things. God called Mary to something absolutely extraordinary, but she was just this simple, basic girl. She was a young, unwed teenage girl when the angel appeared to her. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. This is Jesus's mom. She must have been scared. We know that because the angel had to say to her, don't be afraid. I find it so interesting that when angels show up in the Bible, people say, they always have to start with, please don't be afraid. But when we think about angels in our nativity scenes, they're little, cha- they're little babies, you know. Like angels, I mean, it'd be terrifying to see the soldier of God. And he shows up to someone 
who's poor, who's not expected to do anything great in her life. She was a young, teenage, unwed woman. She didn't have a lot going for her, especially economically. We know this because one day when Jesus, when Jesus would be brought to the temple by, her parent, by his parents, they would offer a sacrifice, a payment to the Lord to dedicate Jesus to God. And they would pay two pigeons. And that was the price that only the poorest people in the community would pay. They were ordinary people. God calls ordinary people to extraordinary things. And he especially did it with Mary. Here's the call that he gave to Mary, ready? It was wild. You will conceive and give birth to a son. He will be very great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will, uh, will give him the throne and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. It was this incredible, extraordinary call that God gave to Mary. And how do you think she felt? Now, if we just continue to put Jesus' parents on this pedestal and think, well, they were, they were perfect. They never made any mistakes. You know, I mean, it was just clear, like they always knew that they were gonna bring Jesus into the world. Well, we'll, com- we'll be completely mistaken. I think what's really sad is we won't see ourselves in this story. Like you belong in this story. No, you're not the parent of Jesus. No, you didn't raise him. But you, an ordinary person, belong in this extraordinary story. Mary must have been afraid. She must have been confused. She must have known that socially, this was going to ruin her life. Absolutely ruin her life. I think about all the different things that she had planned for her life. We know from the scriptures that she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. And when you're engaged to be married, you have all sorts of plans. And I know that people in here who aren't married or engaged or even dating someone, you might still already have plans about your future wedding. You've been spending a lot of time on Pinterest. You've been thinking about it. You've even got your website URL ready to go. Hashtag the Johnsons getting Johnsoned. I don't know. I remember when I was proposing to Abby, my wife, it was three years ago this month. And uh, here's a picture of, of where we were. So this is Abby looking out just a few minutes before I asked her to marry me. And I had this plan in mind, right? Like I had everything ready to go. We're walking up this mountain just outside of Las Vegas. Your pastor proposed in Las Vegas. I don't know why, I just did. <laughs> Long story. And I had this plan in mind, and as we're hiking this mountain, I'm thinking, okay, I need to find a spot, the spot that's worthy of a proposal. I've got everything ready to go. And suddenly, out of nowhere, Abby just stops, and I realize I'm walking by myself. I was in a hurry. I was moving. I had a plan. I was ready to go. And she's just sitting there. And I stand, and I turn around. I'm like, Abby, please, we need to go. She goes, no, I want to sit. I want to stay. I'm like, what are you doing? Our lives are about to change. You don't know that. I hope it's going to change for both of us. You have to say yes, please. I'm like, Abby, I'm sure there are better sights ahead. And I'm thinking like metaphorically, like me in your life, you know. <laughs> we had known each other for a couple weeks. We were ready. <laughs> I'm kidding. At that point, we had known each other for six years. Um, but, uh, but she's like, yeah, but I like this sight. I like this one. She's totally throwing me off my course. And I continue to plead, please, let's go, move. Now, I'm getting angry. Will you marry me? (laughs) And sometimes Abby will say things that almost sound cliche, but they're so beautiful and they're so true. And she said, Danny, 
you're going to miss it if you don't slow down every now and then. And so I stopped, I looked, and I took this picture. Because do you ever have one of those moments in your life where things change course? And it's not necessarily what you had planned, but it's kind of like one of those movie moments where like your heart finds something that it's always desired and wanted. I didn't want to miss this. So I took the picture. And I said, let's go, woman! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, it, and it hit me. This plan that I had for my life, this plan that I had for us, it wasn't just for the sake of having a plan. I didn't want to get married just to get married. I wanted to marry her. It was her. You might have all sorts of plans and thoughts and dreams for your life, but you don't just have them just to have them. You have them because of who gave them to you. You don't live a life of significance just to be significant. You've been called significant. You've been called chosen. You've been called beloved. You've been called a child of God. It's not just for the sake of playing house, playing life, doing things to check it off the list. It's because you're actually making a difference with the one who made this whole place. Stop. Slow down. Notice you might be an ordinary person, but it is true. God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. But I think that that's just a really polite way of saying God interrupts you, doesn't he? God interrupts ordinary people living ordinary lives in extraordinary ways to live an extraordinarily new life. Whatever it is that God calls you to, it might not be what you had in mind for yourself, but I promise you will be so satisfied with it if you live into it. It might be scary. It might be wild. This begs the question, how can ordinary people do extraordinary things? How can that be possible? It was two and a half years ago when I received this letter. This is a letter of call. A letter of call is a fancy way of saying, hey, will you work for our church? Yes, I'd love to. And so when you finish seminary and you go through all the hoops and stuff of, that sounds terrible. I really hope our bishop isn't watching. But anyway, but if you go through seminary and you're ready to be ordained as a pastor, they give you this letter and they have this big fancy service and they put this thing called a stole on you and, and you wear it and, and they give you a letter of a call. It says, letter of call to a minister of word and sacrament of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Daniel Eric Householder, with prayers for guidance of the Holy Spirit to do God's will, Lutheran Church of Hope, a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, meeting on July 12, 2020, extends this call to you to serve as a pastor. And it's funny when I received this, I thought, man, that's everything I've ever wanted. I mean, my goodness, I was in seminary for four years. I did two more years of theological training. It took so long. I'm doing all these different things. And then they put this letter on it. And then they put this title on it. And then they tell me to do these things. And then they say, we want you to lead this church. And I'm kind of scared because I'm very ordinary and I feel very small and I feel very insignificant. And whether you're graduating this semester, next semester, or you're just right in the middle of college, or you're right at the beginning, I think every single one of us is kind of at that place in our life when you're in this transitionary phase where you're like, is that letter coming? Has it already come? What do I do with it now? Ah, this world's really big. And it's funny, sometimes when your dreams come true, when like the plan that you always had in mind actually comes to realization, it's the scariest thing that's ever happened to you. Anybody else relate to that? Like you get that call, it's extraordinary, but then you're like, ah, I'm ordinary. Okay, so was Mary. So how did Mary, an 
ordinary, poor, Jewish, unwed teenage girl do something extraordinary. Her life was interrupted. It was totally thrown off course. She knew that it would socially ruin her life. She would always be known as the woman in the community with the illegitimate child. She wasn't married yet. In those days, to have a child out of wedlock, in some places, in some towns, according to the religious law, you could be stoned to death for that. This is extraordinary. People aren't going to believe her. Sometimes we think, well, people back in those days, they believed everything. No, they didn't. They thought she was nuts. But Mary, this ordinary, young, poor Jewish girl, listened to her extraordinary God and fulfilled an extraordinary call. So how can ordinary people do extraordinary things? It wasn't just something for Mary to ask a long time ago. This is a question for you to ask. And you can know this, your extraordinary God invites you to uncover the answers with him. So I'm just gonna go through three things. The first one's gonna take a little bit longer and the last two, we'll wrap it up. But the first thing, to be an ordinary person doing an extraordinary thing, remember. Everybody go ahead and say that. Remember. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Remember. Well, remember what? Well, let's get to it. It says this in the passage. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Mary was confused and disturbed. That's a really polite way of Mary being completely freaked out. This sky fairy just came down to me and told me that the Holy Spirit impregnated me with God's child. Like when you put it on paper like that, it's nuts. Again, we think about people thousands of years ago, we're like, oh, they just believed anything. They had just as many doubts as we do. Mary had doubts. It's okay to have doubts. If Mary, the mother of Jesus, had doubts about her call, confused and disturbed, disturbed, it bothered her. You can know this. There's not some sort of moral or spiritual failure or defect in your heart if you have doubts. The Bible shows this. Not all doubts are bad. Doubts can absolutely be used for good things. See, in this story and in this chapter, right before we read about Mary receiving her extraordinary call, there's a man named Zechariah. Everybody say Zechariah. Not Zechariah, but Zechariah. Zechariah was the husband of Mary's cousin or relative. We're really not totally sure. And her cousin or relative, her name was Elizabeth. But Zechariah was the husband. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, they, they had a plan for their life and, and it wasn't happening. They always wanted children and they couldn't. Zechariah was old and Elizabeth was too old to get pregnant. But Zechariah had the same angel, Gabriel, show up to him. And Gabriel said, your wife is going to have a child. This child would grow up to be John the Baptist. And Zechariah, he had doubts too. It says this, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? Can anybody relate to Zechariah? God's calling you to something extraordinary. You're like, yeah, but God, how can I be sure? Here's like the really painful reality about God's calls. Here's the really painful reality about hope. Here's the really painful reality about faith. There's no guarantee that it's gonna work out exactly the way that you wanted it to work out. And I think that this is so interesting. Gabriel says to Mary, don't be afraid, my dear sweet girl. But instead to Zechariah, he says, I'm Gabriel. Who do you think you are, Zeke? 
And he says this, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. Like, what's up, Gabriel? One day he's in a great mood with Mary. Jesus is coming. The next day with Zechariah, he's like, I just, this guy. (laughs) Or is there something deeper and better happening? Listen, we all have doubts. Faith insinuates that you will have doubts. Faith does not mean that you have it written out on paper in front of you. Faith means trusting and believing in the things that you cannot see, but you have hope and assurance in them anyway. See, we we do have doubts. And doubts, they have voices, right? And they speak and they talk to us. God's word outlasts doubt. God's word silences doubt. God's word will silence every voice of doubt. And sometimes, who's got the loudest voice of doubt in your life? For me, the loudest voice of doubt in my life is me. I mean, there can be lots of different people telling me, no, that one thing's not gonna happen. Or maybe there's lots of people telling me, no, that one thing is gonna happen. But whatever it is that I believe about it, that's the voice that's in my head. And I can't get rid of it. And it keeps on talking and it's getting louder and it's telling me, you can't do it. It won't happen. You're not ordinary. You're not extraordinary enough. You're just you. And I wonder if Zechariah needed to be silenced because his voice was only going to continue to speak doubts. His voice was only going to continue to tell him it can't happen for you. You're not good enough. There's not enough for you. It's over. You're old. Things have passed you over. You're too late, Zechariah. God's word is different than our word. See, my words, sometimes they don't come true. There are many things I've predicted before and they didn't happen. Like I really thought by now I would have seen the Chicago Bears win a Super Bowl. It didn't happen. It hasn't. But one day those who walk in darkness will see a great light. I'm telling you, it's beautiful. God's a Bears fan. It's, <laughs> It's in the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, all right. I don't want to get struck by lightning, so let's move to the next point. There are lots of things I say that don't come true. And quite frankly, there are some things that I've said that I just didn't follow through on. God's not like that. God's word always comes true. God's word will silence every voice of doubt, even mine. I wonder if Zechariah needed to be silenced so that he could listen to the truth of God rather than the doubts in his own voice. When you pray, who does most of the talking? Don't get me wrong, God wants to hear your voice. God loves when you speak to him. I wonder if sometimes it's okay to be quiet and to simply remember who God is and who God says we are. This is what Mary did. Mary responded to this extraordinary call and she just said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said, not things that I've said, not things that I'm predicting, but may everything that you have said about me come true. Remember who you are by remembering whose you are. This is the example that Mary set, and this is what we get to follow. When God calls you something too extraordinary, and you're like, I'm just ordinary, and it seems like it's all out of sorts, and it doesn't seem possible, you get to remember. You get to remember who God says you are. 
You get to remember who you are because of whose you are. You belong to God. And do you know what God thinks of you? Do you know how God cares for you? By the end of this passage in Luke chapter one, Mary's gonna be literally singing. She says in her song, he took notice of this lowly servant girl and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary, this seemingly insignificant, ordinary, young, poor, Jewish, unwed teenage girl is now known and celebrated and blessed her name by thousands of generations after her. And she was just a young girl walking through a garden one day when an angel approached her and said, God's got something extraordinary for you. It's not like she went out and made a name for herself. She instead remembered the name that God called her. I mean, there's debate these days in churches. Well, who was Mary? What about Mary? Sometimes you get these debates between Catholics and Protestants and maybe you're interested in that, maybe you're not. But more than what we say who Mary was, let's remember who God said Mary was more important than who other people say you are, even more important than who you say you are. Who does God say you are? Are you seeing yourself in this story? Are you saying that Mary was just an ordinary girl? And maybe you're just an ordinary man or woman, but God can still call you to extraordinary things because our extraordinary God remembers ordinary people. Our extraordinary God gets to call you to extraordinary things because he remembers ordinary people. He will not forget you. God's got a plan for this creation. God's got a plan for eternity. You are in it. You are in it. The reason why he sends his son Christ into this world is because he refused to go into eternity. He refused to make his forever plans. He refused to fill out his Pinterest board and make his the not URL profile without you in it. God sees you in his future. Our extraordinary God remembers ordinary people. So we remember him. When God calls you to something extraordinary, you remember who he is, faithful. He remembers. And that'll help you remember who you are, whether you think you're ordinary or not. So the first thing we do is we get to remember. And like I said, these last two will wrap up a little bit quicker. This one is rest and renew. It's one, but rest and renew. Everybody say rest and renew. About 10 years ago, people would call this R and R. I need some R and R time. We'd say that at the end of a busy season, like, oh man, R and R, it is well deserved. And usually when people are saying that, they don't deserve it. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. That was rude. Rest and renew. Mary, when she was called to something extraordinary, do you know what the first thing she did was? She stepped away. It actually says this. It says, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea where Zechariah lived. And I just imagine when Mary shows up, she's like, hey, everyone, I've got this huge call in my life. And Zechariah's like, "Mm, mm, 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 mm," because remember, he can't talk yet. He's been muted by the same angel that blessed Mary. He's just sitting there like washing the dishes like, Mary. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth, her, her cousin, her relative, who was also pregnant. She, she rested, she got away. Sometimes when we get these big calls on our life or when we're really excited about something, we're like, I just need to go now. No, you probably need to rest. It was exhausting just to think of something. It was exhausting just to receive and hear and interpret what might've been called to you. 
Rest for a moment, but don't just rest just because you're lazy. Rest because it's good for your soul and rest because something good happens in those moments of rest. In those moments of rest, there is renewal. And it's not just some sort of out of nowhere sort of thing that happens, but instead renewal happens because when we're resting, all of a sudden we're actually listening. We can actually be like Zechariah. Zechariah is forced into it. Stop talking, Zechariah. But Mary actually got away. She said, I'm going to be quiet for a little while and I'm going to listen. I'm going to rest. And here's what Elizabeth says to her right when she walks in. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Notice, Mary did not go around telling people right after Gabriel called her to something extraordinary, everybody, guess what? I'm better than you. I've, I'll tell you this. Sometimes people will say God called them to something that they didn't. I've been told this before. Someone has come up to me before and said, I have the spiritual gift of criticism. That's not in the Bible. No, you don't. You're just a jerk, right? If someone comes up to you and says, I have the spiritual gift of criticism. I'd like to tell you how to live your life better. It's time to plug your ears. My senior pastor in uh, Minnesota, when I lived up there, there was a guy that came up to him um, who had never been to the church before. And he just walked into the office one day. And my senior pastor then told me this story. Uh, He walked up to him and he said, I've got a word from God. God wants me to preach at your church this Sunday. And my pastor said, no, he didn't. And he said, well, how do you know? He said, well, he would have told me the same thing. Mary doesn't go around telling people, I received this word of God and because I'm saying it, you have to listen to me. He act- she actually went into community. When you believe God's calling you to something, you are not called to be a lone wolf. You're called to live in a pack. How? Just calling for it. You guys all want to howl together? I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Some of you are like, I knew it was a cult. No. <laughs> no. What are we going to do? Drink the body and blood of our Lord Jesus later? <laughs> yes, we are. Anyway. <laughs> Mary went to a place of rest and renewal where there was also accountability. Mary received accountability. Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to a family member, somebody who was trusted, and she listened to her. If you think God's calling you to something great, Listen to the people of God. Go to the people that you trust. Rest with them. Don't try to work right away. Listen, discern this with other people. You are not called to be a lone wolf in Christianity. Christianity is a team sport. It is a family game. When you're called to something extraordinary, rest and renew in the company of others. Listen, God doesn't want to stay mysterious to you. You know what's crazy about this? God wants to be understood. Not wild. God, the infinite God, the all-knowing, omnipresent, omniscient God. He actually wants to be understood. And so when God calls you to something extraordinary, he might actually communicate it to you in an ordinary way, like through the voice of a friend who offers you affirmation and confirmation. It is not okay to just simply go out recklessly. This is what Christians do sometimes. God called me to it, so I have to do it. How do you know that? God's not just revealing some individual secret to you. God's revealing it to the people of God. Christianity is a family game. It is a team sport. God wants to be understood. So don't be surprised when he communicates extraordinary calls to you through ordinary ways, like through a trusted family member or friend. 
God so desperately wants to be understood. In fact, we see this right in our passage for tonight that tells us about how Jesus is coming into the world. It said this in Luke chapter one. Do you remember this is what Gabriel said to Mary? God wants to be understood this badly. He says this to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And who is that son? Well, that son is the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. In Colossians chapter two, verse nine, it says, in Jesus, in this baby, the fullness of God's deity dwells. So the angel Gabriel is saying to Mary, you're going to give birth to a baby, something that is very vulnerable, something that could be hurt. And God is going to show up and actually be in full form. Jesus is 100% human, but also 100% God. And that really hurts our brains, and I know. But don't you think that it's important that if God really is as big as God says that God is, he should probably be able to do things and understand things that we can't always wrap our minds around right away? But God does want to be known. No, we can't understand God on our own. So God came to us. He shows up in the finite become, the infinite becomes finite. The impossible becomes possible. The absolute greatest holy one becomes touchable. He becomes so vulnerable like a baby that you could hold him. You could hurt him. Do you ever see how fragile babies are? And this is what God did. The God of the entire universe who reigns above all the stars and galaxies. He became a single cell. Became so broken down and yet in that broken down form, he's still the fullness of God. He's not backing off in any way whatsoever in his power, but he wants to be known. He wants to be understood. He wants to be touched. He wants to be felt. He wants to be heard. He wants to be understood. God's not trying to stay mysterious for you. I'm just trying to know God. I'm just trying to pursue the Lord. He pursued you. He knows you fully. So he also knows the ways in which you're going to understand him fully. And he decided that that was going to be as a baby, vulnerable, touchable, finite. He wants to be understood. One of my favorite quotes from a theologian ever is from Dorothy Sayers, and she put it this way. We don't, we don't have like the answers to all the things. One of my favorite song lines is, so I don't have the answers for hurricanes or cancers, but a savior who comes to weep in them with me. Dorothy Sayers wrote this, for whatever reason God chose to make man as he is or make woman as she is, limited, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death, like we're ordinary people, we're, we're stuck within these confines of the world. He had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine Whatever game he is playing with his creation, we sometimes feel, he has kept his own rules and he has played it fair. He can exact nothing from humankind that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, a human, a baby, he played the role of humanity to the fullest. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace. 
and he thought it was worthwhile. Why was it worthwhile? Because you get to understand him. When God calls you to something extraordinary, remember who God is, who will reveal to you who you are. Rest and renew because God wants to be understood. So rest and take the time to listen. And then here's the best one, ready? Rejoice. When God calls you to something, and for some of you who are graduating this semester or next, or in the next few years, God's calling you to something in the future. God's calling you to something today. Rejoice. Mary said this in her song at the end of the chapter, I'm bursting with God news. That's the way that it's paraphrased in Eugene Peterson's The Message translation of the Bible. I'm dancing the song of my savior. It's exactly what he promised. God's promises come true. You know, after Abby finally said yes to me, she finally found her way up that mountain. I'm just kidding. When we patiently walked up together, she said yes, and that was in December of 2019. And I've got this plan and it's all ready to go. It's gonna be great. We're gonna invite hundreds of people to our wedding. The planning is gonna go as everybody else goes. And then this little thing called a pandemic happened. You remember that? And all of a sudden it's like, okay, let's get that invite list down and down and down and down and down. Here's a picture from our wedding. Um, and it looks like great and happy and fun. And it really was. Behind that black curtain is a vacation Bible school set in West Des Moines, which is very obnoxious and very loud, right? We had to get married in the worship center at our West Des Moines campus, the Lutheran Church of Hope, because it was the only room that was big enough to be able to hold people. There's 2,600 seats in there, and we had 180 people at the wedding, so it felt packed, but they're spread out across the entire room. It's not what we thought it was gonna be, but it was beautiful, it was majestic. And no matter who is in the room, I made eye contact with the one that I wanna spend the rest of my life with, with the love of my life. And as she's walking down the aisle, I'm thinking this looks nothing like I ever could have imagined that it was going to look like. And I actually physically burst into tears because I'm like, it doesn't look like what I thought it was gonna look like, but it's better than I could have ever dared to dream. God's promises have come true. And listen, God's promises are not exactly what we thought that they would be like. God's promises was not that we'd have a beautiful wedding. God's promise is that he would be faithful. He'd be faithful to Abby and me, that he'd be faithful to you. God's going to be faithful to you. Whether you get married someday, whether you get a big job or whether you don't, God promises to be faithful to you. Do not mistake what it is that God has promised you. God's going to come through on it. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in what really matters. Rejoice that your soul, that your heart is secure in the arms of your loving Savior who would never let you go, the extraordinary God who remembers ordinary people. Our, our uh, outreach minister, she's soon to be a pastor as well. She's gonna get one of those letters. Her name's Haley Shepherd. She said this in a sermon a few weeks ago, and I have not been able to get it out of mind since. The only thing God owes us is what he's promised us. And all his promises come true. God does owe you something because he's committed himself to it. He doesn't have to, but he's chosen to. It is what he's promised you. He promises you his faithfulness. He promises you his presence. He promises you his peace. He promises you his hope. And his promises always, always come true.
It was on the night when Jesus was betrayed that he made a promise to his, to his disciples. He said, I'm going now, I'm, I'm leaving. Things are gonna look different, but I'll always be with you. And as he sat there with his disciples, he took bread, he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples to eat. He said, take and eat, this is my body. It's given for you. And when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Then again, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks, he poured it out for all of them to drink. He said, this cup is a new covenant. It's my blood, it's shed for you and for the forgiveness of sins. And when you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. I invite you to uh, pray this prayer with me. It'll be on the screen behind me. These are the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You can go ahead and stand on up. During this last song, uh, ushers are gonna guide you aisle by aisle, um, row by row down the aisle. And you can come forward. We'll hand you a wafer. We'll say, this is the body of Christ given for you. And then you can dip it in the grape juice. We'll say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. If you need a gluten-free station that will be in the back, please go ahead and see them. That'd be great. But the most important instruction I can give, I can give you tonight is this. Jesus Christ himself welcomes you. The extraordinary God remembers you and he wants to eat with you. He wants to share all that he has with you. So come forward, hear these words that you sing this song. Crazy. <laughs> and hear that too, I don't know. <laughs> come be with your God. This is the most extraordinary call you'll ever answer. Be with God. He's promised you get to be with him. Answer it, receive it, come forward, amen.